Hello and welcome to the podcast. Support us by subscribing and sharing. We're also on Patreon. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. My name's Adam and joining me is always my co-host, Craig. You're listening to Guilty Pleasure Cinema. Adam and Craig's Guilty Pleasure. Adam and Craig's Guilty Pleasure. Adam and Craig's Guilty Pleasure Cinema. The Devil's Advocate, 1997, the R-rated movie about an exceptionally adept Florida lawyer is offered a job at a high-end New York City law firm with a high-end boss. The biggest opportunity of his career to date. I mean, let's just jump in right now. Air quotes, Florida. Yeah, I know. That, I, I, I love this film. I've seen this film many times. And that accent takes a walk. It does a little bit. Um, I... Because I do remember this movie, and I remember this also being one of the not not a blemish on Keanu Reeves' uh, CV, but definitely a a question mark against his name in terms of uh, his his acting. Yeah, it's it's a weird one because it's it's a it's an oddly loved movie. Yes, but it's a pile of trash. Oh, hundred percent. Um, this what's what's the name of that character? The uh, uh, Foghorn Leghorn, is it? Oh yeah, he's got an asset. I say, boy. Yeah. <laughs> does that make Al Pacino the chicken hawk? It very well does. Uh, um, yeah, no. This is a sort of this is a film that came out in the nineties, and everyone like it's a law movie. It's not a John Grisham novel adaptation, but it's a film, to my knowledge, that everyone that was like male and above twenty five was just like, yes, this yeah. is my movie. This is very much everyone had this on DVD. I remember it was just like, yeah. the D- do you know what a funny thing is? I um, I was reading into how, like, say, it's like that example for this movie, how a movie like this just probably wouldn't really get made these days. Um, and it has so much to do about DVD sales because obviously yeah. DVDs aren't a fucking thing anymore. And it was just saying that how now when like big Hollywood production companies and studios look at how to greenlight movies. They're talking to say, so like, say, uh, hypothetically, this movie had a budget of, say, like 20, 30 million or something like that. You would then need to pump all the marketing into it. And these days, the marketing is almost as much as the budget is for the film. So, yeah. And it's also the case of, like, as you say, DVD sales or cinema sales. If most things now are being streamed, you're paying Mm. your $8.99 Amazon, Netflix, Mm. Now TV, whatever subscription so you're not upping your value if it's a movie starring the rock or if it's just a little indie flick yeah that you find so that means that the studios need to put more money and attention into something that they know is going to get the clicks and the views so a pre-existing franchise yeah which means the director of this film mm-hmm. taylor hackford admittedly he's only done a few films but they've all been independent you know, with the exception of the Devil's Advocate being based on a book, they've all been independently away from yeah. something, something else. So he did uh, Officer and a Gentleman, and he very much did. He did that film. I think it's just called The Comedian. Um, I think so. I, I Robert De Niro plays like an insult comic. Oh, is this this that's the character that was um, uh, based on when he did The Joker, isn't it? It was a kind of almost like a lead on from that character. Oh, no, 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 you're thinking of the King of Comedy. Oh, fucking I am, sorry, yeah. But yeah, so p- people like Taylor Hackford either need to get on that Marvel, sweet, sweet Marvel train mm-hmm. or, or stop making movies. It's or, or step into doing one or two episodes of a TV show. Yeah, he also did uh, Blood and Blood. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. No, uh, no, Benjamin Pratt's in it. Ah. Yeah, okay. Uh, the Latino Dean Cain. Exactly. And, oh, well, remembered. And uh, he's also married to Helen Mirren. Oh, so he's doing okay. Because it's one of those things. I saw a picture of Ted Hatch. I was like, where do I recognise him from? And it's just because I always recognise him uh, from the Oscars. Cause he's always I was going to say, from, from all those glossy magazines you read about, <laughs> Helen Mirren. But that's the thing, because I always see him standing next to Helen Mirren. So it's like, oh, all yeah. right. Not only are you a accomplished director, but you're married to uh, a very, very successful and I'd quite say quite a striking older lady. I think oh, I... Helen Mirren is stunning. Mm. It's absolutely stunning. Who is not stunning is Tony Gilroy, the writer of this movie. Uh, go on then. Talk, so, talk me. I mean, he's a great guy, but yeah. it was just the it was the best segue I could do. Um, <laughs> writer of Michael Clayton. Ah, oh, okay, yeah, cool. Potential nice. director of Michael Clayton as well. I can't 
say for definite. But yeah, Tony Gilroy also touched uh, the Armageddon script at some oh, point. Yes, he did. And I can't remember if it's him or Dan, his brother, Gil- Dan Gilroy, his brother, um, that did Nightcrawler and Velvet Buzzsaw. I've got a feeling that might have been Dan Gilroy. But yeah, Tony Gilroy did Michael Clayton, which is, to quote you, mwah. French kiss. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so with that, they they've written the uh, screenplay for this, but it's obviously based on the novel uh, by Andrew Nudman. And I'd also say a lot of this movie is probably influenced by Paradise Lost as well, which is funnily enough written by John Milton. John Milton. Hey, they really reached for that one. They did. Um, if you didn't know, uh, Joel Schumacher was originally set to direct this film in 1994. Is that coming off the back of A Time to Kill? Um, I believe it would be, and just nice. I think just before the eight millimeter as well. So, yes. Yeah. Okay. So basically, okay. <laughs> this movie is you put a time to kill in one hand, uh, eight millimeter in the other, and just put your hands together. Yeah, it's a it's a combining of forces there. <laughs> um, but this was originally going to star as uh, Brad Pitt as Kevin Lomax, nice. and also as well with um, potentially uh, either Christian Slater. Mm-hmm. Your boy John Cusack, you, and um, maybe <laughs> potentially Ed Norton uh, were also considered for the role as well. Uh, looking back at that now, at the time, probably not Christian Slater. I think John Cusack is not as I, no, he can't be no, because um, you know what? I'd believe him straight away just joining the devil's side. <laughs> but I, I think Brad Pitt would be an interesting one. Ed Norton too. Like, have you ever seen Primal Fear? Yes, I have. Yes. Yeah, so it's um, for the listener. Courtroom drama with him and Richard Gere. Mm. Uh, it's, I think it might have been his first film role, and yeah, he knows how to handle a courtroom drama. It's Ed Norton, you know that he can hold a movie. That would have been great. It all just depends on who who then you'd get to play Al Pacino or John Milton. So, so there were quite a few other suggestions for him, but we'll get to that as we go through the cast. Cool. So, uh, top billing, uh, we've got Keanu Reeves as uh, Kevin Lomax, uh, mm-hmm. better known as Ted Theodore Logan. <laughs> and best known as the goalkeeper in Youngblood. That as well, and uh, obviously hot off our previous episode of Johnny Mnemonic, uh, which mm. you absolutely loved. So, uh, did you know this though? Obviously, uh, Keanu Reeves is such a swell guy. Uh, he accepted a lower salary, uh, so the producers could pay uh, pay Al Pacino's asking price. So, when Pacino, I half heard believe about this, that. I half he... believe that. Sorry to cut you off, because no, no, no. Like, go for it. Obviously, we spoke last week about um, Keanu Reeves accepted the script for Johnny <laughs> Mnemonic because it was just put on his doorstep. Like, yeah, hey, yeah. okay. And then he got paid scale for the watcher yes, because someone else be. signed his name. Yeah. So I feel like this is a case of him being like, okay, it can't have happened a third time. I'm accepting like peanuts to get paid. I'll just say I'm doing it because I'm a good guy. Nothing to do with, mm, yeah, okay. you know, he probably got swindled in a card game and was like, okay, but we'll say it was my choice. But um, apparently, um, a rumor is uh, when Pacino heard about this, he then donated the same amount of uh, his salary to a charity. Okay. So he, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's just good PR work from both sides. I don't know. It's, uh... I think I feel like that is incredibly good. <laughs> incredibly good PR work. Uh, but yes, he plays the um, the t- uh, title character of uh, Kevin Lomax. Um, then on here opposite side uh, we've got Al Pacino playing as we said John Milton so obviously the same name of the author from Paradise Lost uh, if you're not familiar with Paradise Lost it's a very uh, classic uh, I would say epic poem about man's fall from God's grace yep. uh, when uh, Lomax is in um, Milton's office at the end of the film he then goes for probably the most famous line in the book which is better to reign in hell than serve in heaven so if yeah. you didn't think that they were reaching with John Milton, the fact that they quote the book as well. If that nail wasn't already in the wood, here comes the hammer yeah. to just drive it further down. Exactly. Um, so uh, uh, Al Pacino uh, turned down the script about three or four times. I, oh. I think the, the way that it was written beforehand in the original couple of drafts, was that it was actually going to be a very supernatural heavy movie. It's lots of like CGI, yeah. um, 
And considering if what I remember of the CGI in this movie, thank God they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, but with this, uh, when he was turning it down, he was actually suggesting other people to go for the role of John Milton because he didn't think he would actually be able to portray, uh, portray it properly. So okay. he suggested uh, Sir Sean Connery. And... <laughs> Which would have been amazing. Yeah. Like, Al Pacino has a speech at the end of this movie, and I don't know how much of it was written or improved, mm. but hearing that speech in Sean Connery's voice would have been spectacular. It would have been a Scottish devil. I don't know. Uh, I think it, uh, <laughs> oh, I don't I know how to have some legs. Yeah, uh, but obviously uh, Robert Redford, uh, Al Pacino suggested him as well. <sighs> I don't know. I don't think he's got the gravitas or the like. You know that Al Pacino's uh, like very. In this movie, he's slimy. He, he he's smooth as well, though. That's the thing. It's just mm. like he's on that he's on, he's on that cutting edge of being creepy and suave. You know what I mean? If you did that, um, you, have you seen Once Upon a Time in the West? Yes, yes, I have. Yeah, so Henry Fonda, who was known as like the hero of Hollywood at that point, plays mm. the villain. Yeah. So obviously, Robert Redford has pretty much ninety nine percent played good guys in his yes. movies. So if you're doing that and making him... I mean, I was going to give the spoiler alert for this movie. Well, Fuck it. If you're going to make Robert Redford the devil... Um... I think it's pretty obvious from the get-go uh, when watching this movie. <laughs> oh, is that because the opening thing is like universal and then the world's on fire or whatever the, pr- <laughs> the um, production company is and they're just flames. Um, no, if you're going to make Robert Redford the villain and have that be like a shocking twist maybe that works because mm. maybe that makes the twist a little bit more like oh my god he's the devil <laughs> but yeah. it's the second you see Al Pacino in this movie you're like he's associated with hell cool I think what I've been quite cool about this movie um, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves but it's because we've watched this movie so many times oh, yeah. um, it's I would have loved to have been more ambiguity between mm-hmm. whether he is or he isn't like and it's any right at the end then you go you go oh my god he is yeah or it leaves that ambiguity and it leaves you guessing towards the end of it it's like is was he the devil was he you know yeah i feel like i watched the film when i was like when i was so young that the kind of almost like a kaiser soze twist mm. i don't know whether i saw it coming i mean obviously i was so young i didn't but i wish i'd watched it at later age to appreciate not seeing it coming sort of thing yeah um, but as soon as and hey let's get on to the next uh, couple of cast members Eddie Barzoon gets taken out in that park you're just like oh he's the devil cool because yeah, he's being that's... chased by mythical shadow demons yeah it's a bit of a weird one that um, uh, just very touch on the last little bit I've got written down for yeah, the please. character John Milton um, Kevin Spacey was also considered for the role of John Milton but then you've got to pick so okay if you're getting uh, Kevin Spacey as uh, the devil Mm-hmm. Do you go for Ed Norton or do you go for Brad Pitt? Oh wait, they're the same person. No. Um, do you go for Ed Norton or Brad Pitt? I still think that um, uh, Keanu Reeves would have uh, sufficed, but I think out of the the two you just mentioned, Brad Pitt. I think Brad Pitt's the really okay. I'd always go Norton in that. Mm, not I... not because I think he's better or worse than Brad Pitt, but I think if you're doing like a father son stood next to each other. Spacey yeah. and Norton makes sense. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you know what? Because they do kind of do that a little bit at the end, don't they? They kind of almost like superimpose Keanu Reeves' face on Al Pacino. Yeah, yeah, when, yeah. You do, when they do that, you kind of go, oh, actually, do you know what? Yeah. Maybe, you know, a younger Al Pacino. Maybe, yeah. And like then, um, but also, if you're doing Kevin Spacey, you can't do John Cusack because they'd have already done at that point Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Oh, that's very true. That would be very Which tacky. is a really, really boring movie if you've ever seen it. <laughs> Um, so Charlie Theron, uh, she plays Mary Ann Lomax, the wife of Keanu Reeves' character. Uh, probably best known her for Monster. Uh, she is amazing in that. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, that's a probably. And then uh, getting flattened in Prometheus. Yeah, for not turning right in Prometheus. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, think... she's she's great. Is Charlie Theron? Uh, how old do you think she was when she did this movie? Oh, she was like. Charlie Theron was like a Paul Rudd. She's the sort of person that you're like, oh, you've been here since forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she, she was early 20s, right? Yeah, she, she was only 21. Craigie. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. Uh, which is amazing when you look at her. Like, you kind of go, wow, like, because uh, at the time, Keanu Reeves was 31, so he's 10 years yeah. older. But they don't, you don't really think of that age gap when you see him on screen. No, and he, they're both kind of timeless 
faces, you know, they haven't aged a huge amount. Yeah, uh, in the he... seventy thousand years they've been on screen. No, yeah, it's uh, Keanu Reeves very much a Dorian Gray situation going on, yeah. isn't he? Um, so Charlie Theron uh, kind of had to really take a time uh, on this script. Uh, she was very um, conscious of obviously appearing nude a lot in this movie, which she does. Uh, but it's also the reason uh, why she actually turned down Showgirls. Um, I, I think I saw per, uh, percentage runs of like how much uh, uh, the amount of screen time that the seven characters in this movie have compared to how much they're actually nude in the movie, and I think brilliant. Charlie Theron's was like something like eighty percent. Oh my <laughs> like, goodness! It, it's a, it was something crazy numbers like, and it's like oh. I mean, this movie is riddled with unnecessary nudity throughout. Mm. The the scene so where the women go. The, the, the scene where the wives go changing oh, and yeah. just unnecessarily are just like, yeah, okay, everything off. Film now, please, boobs. fill my breasts. Yeah. No, no, don't just look at them. Feel them. And you're just uh, there like, okay, thanks, movie. Didn't need it. Yeah, didn't need it. Uh, I'll tell you what, we do need more of uh, Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> so he played uh, Eddie Barzin. Uh, so I'll probably best know him from Charles from Beetlejuice. Uh huh. Ed Ed Rooney from uh, um, Ferris Bueller's Day, Day Off. Off. Yeah. And of uh, course from being a registered sex offender. That as well. Uh, yeah, I really like. It. I've got a lot of time for Jeffrey Jones. And <laughs> why would you say that after what I said? <laughs> why wouldn't you fill a buffer? <laughs> I'm joking. Um, yeah. So uh, obviously, yeah, a bit of a. Uh, yeah, a bit hot under the collar with old, with old Jeff. Um, yeah. Also known for playing the devil. In Brainscan. Yes, great shout. Um, it's been ages since I've seen Brainscan. I always yes. get confused between brain. When someone says Brainscan, I always think of scanners. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah, for me, like, it's no, no, Brainscan no, no, no. and uh, 976 Evil. If you've ever yeah, heard of that, it. yeah, that fucking sucks. Uh, that's a, yeah, that's yeah. a, that's a, what's his name? Fre- plays Freddy Krueger, uh, Robert England movie. It's like Rob, one of Brian Helgeland's first scripts. It's uh, it's it? trash, but yeah, at the okay. same time, it's good fun. Judas Ivy, Miss Alice Lomax, uh, so plays um, Kelly Reeves' character's mum. Uh, she probably most recently was in Flags of Our Father. Um, Never saw it. I don't know if you ever saw that. No. Um, you've probably not seen a lot of her work as well. It's very much TV movies and TV series, uh, right. all American shit. Um, she reminds me of probably... Sparkle Motion from uh, Donnie Darko. Ah, yeah, good shout. Um, probably someone that you have seen a lot of is uh, Connie Nielsen. Uh, so she plays Christabella Andrinoli. Yep. I want to say that's how you pronounce the name. Um, so I probably best know her as Lucilla in Gladiator. Yes, another yeah. film where she fucks her brother. Yeah. Yeah. And... <laughs> Spoiler alert for The Devil's Advocate coming up. Yeah, and then uh, Hippolyta, um, so she plays Wonder Woman's mum, I think, in uh, obviously okay. the, the latest Wonder Woman movies. Yeah. Uh, Craig T. Nelson, so he plays Alexander Cullen. Um, yeah, he's the voice of Mr. Incredible. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, he's great. I know. Um, he was also in Poltergeist, and I distinctly more remember him from Blades of Glory for some reason. Yeah, uh, as the Will coach. movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you've got lots of supporting characters like uh, Tammy Tooney and Ruben Santiago Hudson. Uh, they play the uh, couple that live opposite uh, Keanu Reeves in the right. building. Right. Okay. Um, then you also have uh, Deborah Monk uh, plays Pam, mm-hmm. so she's um, uh, you know the assistant that sort of is always on sort of Keanu Reeves' shoulder, and least uh well last but not least you've got chris bauer uh, who plays uh, lloyd getty uh, yeah fresh off of the eight millimeter screenplay uh, screenplay uh, episode so he yeah, very much played machine from eight millimeter uh so and fi- final one final one uh oh, we're not Sorry. really we we're not going to talk about him i know we're not but delroy lindo's in this movie oh, as yeah. a <sighs> potentially cajun voodoo yeah priest yeah. question mark yeah sure why not? why not also don king appears anyway i love this film oh i can give you some uh, tidbits about don king actually uh, do you know what um, yeah we'll get to it we'll get to it we'll get to it um so uh critically uh what do you think this movie did oh uh, i up, think i want it 
if if I know Big Rog, and I think yeah. I do, he's gonna go, yeah, this film does some silly shit, but I loved it. Three thumbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he was as uh, accepting of this movie. Uh, Rog. So Rog wrote, uh, the movie never fully engaged me. My mind raced ahead of the plot, and the John Grisham stuff clashed with the Exorcist stuff. Okay, I mean, he's hit the nail on the head with the John Grisham stuff. John Grisham, famous for writing courtroom drama novels. Mm-hmm. Um, Firm, maybe Runaway Jury. Uh, he's yes. he's the courtroom drama guy. Yeah. To say your mind rushes ahead of the plot, and we've yeah. already mentioned it. Yeah. It's laid on pretty thick. What the big twist is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's ju- it's spread like That's workman's I mean. maybe, butter. Maybe he's right in that sense. Maybe there should be more ambiguity. Maybe it shouldn't be as as in your face. But but this is what I mean. Is like t- if that's what it's doing to be like hits the devil. Now let's see how long it takes Keanu Reeves to figure it out. Okay, yeah. cool. But not, like it's not like they're lead leading uh, leaving breadcrumbs. You know, yeah, it's just fair. there. So I don't know. I'm I'm running hot and cold with my agreement on Rog on these. Oh, fair enough. Uh, with a budget of fifty-seven million, uh, how much do you think it made back at the bottom? One fifty, easy. Oh yeah, pretty much nailed it. Uh, really? One fifty-three. I was so, going to say one fifty-seven. I was like, no, I'll keep it generic. Yeah, um, cool. The film's great. It's... I, the film is great. I remember it being quite long though. L- um, it, yeah, it is like two and a half hours, right? Two hours forty. Oh, fucking hell, yeah, two and a half hours. Oh, all right, okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> so let's go sit down and watch it. Awesome. All right, ready to go? Three, two, one. It is movie talk time. Uh, so yeah, fucking hell, that was two and a half hours that we are never getting back. Uh, so initial thoughts. Interestingly, I see this as a two-hour movie mm-hmm. with a thirty-minute one-act play at the end. <laughs> yeah, good shout. This, like the whole film, it's. I thought it moved quite speedily, to be honest. Um, I, I feel there, there. No, there were fucking loads of bits that dragged in. There were loads of stuff of like, why is this even in it? Why are we? Yeah. As I said earlier, the whole Delroy Lindo thing, we can just discuss in a sentence. But for yeah. me, as soon as it gets to Eddie Barzoon mm-hmm. getting beaten up and killed by homeless people, <laughs> I was like, oh, we're right in the finale. Sweet. Yeah. But there's stuff like that that was so subtle. Um, actually, like, I'll jump on it now. Like, there's so much that's going on in this movie, which if you blink, you kind of miss it. Or if you're not paying attention, you might just skirt over it. There's loads of subtle context. There's loads of, like, uh, I want to say hidden references. There's kind of, uh, I feel, uh, if you're not familiar with things like Paradise Lost or you're not even familiar with, like, religious dogma and, and maybe use, like, Bible verses and quotes and what certain things might mean in terms of, uh, especially, obviously, the Catholic religion, mm. you would miss some things, uh, even if they are a little bit heavy-handed to, to those that were. Um, one of the things I feel that was a really cool subtle detail is that throughout the movie um, I don't know if you notice this that Keanu Reeves character becomes darker yes so when he his starts suits. out he goes from a very light shaded like uh, very light charcoal grey uh, suit in the oh, first almost beige um, oh yeah actually in that you know first what scene. he is yeah it is that kind of like actually beige tan and then it goes progressively to the point where it becomes black yeah I mean he starts the movie looking like David Strathairn and ends it looking <laughs> like Al Pacino yeah that's a great shout as well um, so with this as well colour plays a massive part in this movie I don't mm. know if you know some of this stuff because obviously the painting in the painting black. with the I've heard this one before that every time Charlie's again we'll get to it starts painting the character she's with is wearing an identical shade of green yes and i was looking out for it this time it's a load of shit because at one point she's just wearing blue i don't think she is actually Uh, because i I remember she's painting green and every time they look back at her she's wearing green herself i i I swear i rewound it and i was like where is it because at one point it's the earrings so it's real subtle but at one point and i could maybe she's holding an apple teeny but she's just in blue well, what's the colour that's being painted? Caribbean green. 
Caribbean green. Is that actually blue, though? Because you know no, some it's green. greens are actually blue. <laughs> you mean turquoise? Uh, no, okay. I mean, I could be wrong. I'll I'll look back at it in a second. Well, you know, when we're done, yeah, and fair. screenshot the or take a photo of the the blue she's wearing and send it. Yeah, because even when she's doing the yellow, she's wearing what looks like a black dress. But actually, if you look at the black dress, it's actually some kind of yellow. Yeah, and maybe it is the smallest tinge of green. This makes no yeah. sense to anyone that's not seen the film. If you haven't seen yeah, it, spend your time watching it because it's uh, bananas. But yeah, then um, if you notice when they're going into the big party as well, mm. everyone's all the women are predominantly redheads. I didn't notice that. That's yeah. cool. So when yeah. it pans round, everyone, all the women, kind of look the same because they don't have any souls, right? Uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but they've all. If you notice that all the redhead women also have like short hair as well, mm. so they've all got it done up like that. Uh, you know, um, what's the face? Um, Connie Nielsen. That's the one. Mm. And also as well, if you noticed that, I, again, this is when I say about sort of like um, subtlety and the dogma and things like that, the uh, the three joggers that are running around, they are representations of the horsemen. Oh, okay, uh, cool. So, so the colours are white, red, and I want to say... Black. Black. Also and isn't Pacino subtlety. wearing green at that point? He is. Which is the fourth horseman, which is death. Yes. Pub quiz. Okay, so there's just loads of stuff like that. Also, like the subtlety of how some of the monster faces come out, like the demon faces, like because again, if you say not subtle, like some of them are like really in your face. Yeah. Like, but it's just like it's not like huge transformation. It's a very kind of like pull. Yeah, it's it's a flash and it's gone. Yeah. And then of course, (laughs) I talk about unnecessary nudity earlier when the dress is sliding down. Yeah, and, and the hands of the demons are wrapping around her underneath yeah. her skin like a scarab beetle in the mummy mm, that's not subtle but the little flash of the face is good yeah I like it um, I, and just say again all the uh, paintings and sculptures and things like that I just kind of felt that it just offered like this really interesting tone to things like say like Milton's mm. office when you walk in there uh, I love the fact that they reference that there's no bed and there's no... Uh, <laughs> In yeah. One of the best lines of the movie. Well, yeah, but then it's kind of like... Because when, uh, when the other dude is like, oh, he doesn't sleep. Yeah, wh- I mean? where, where does he sleep? Who says he sleeps? Where does he fuck? Everywhere! <laughs> um, so, yeah, because when he says that as well, you're kind of thinking to yourself, well, like, if you were in your boss's apartment, mm. uh, you probably wouldn't be, like, overly vulgar like that, would you? You would kind of think... That, but if your boss is the devil and a lawyer, right. you know... And that's it. It's almost like encouraging and enabling that vulgarity as well, which yeah. you kind of get, to get So I love stuff like that. It's a very kind of, like, nice touch, and it's obviously very, very the, good writing. The nicest touch for me is when he walks into the office, the first time Apertuna walks into the office and... and uh, first time Ken Reeves walks into the office, sorry, and Al Pacino rocks up behind him, mm. like magic, like Jason Voorhees. Uh, Ken Reeves is looking at a bench or like a chaise long or something like that that's yeah. just in front of a roaring fireplace, as if Pacino sits there to look as if nostalgically remembering the fires of hell. But also as well, it's the fact that the uh, the office is circular, like yeah. the circles of hell and stuff mm. like that. And I was like, oh, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little, little bit of Dante in there. I like it. Yeah. I, but that's the thing is the subtlety of that is again if you if you weren't uh, knowledgeable of it it might make you feel uneasy anyway because mm. it's kind of thinking oh, like, you know some circular office feels a bit weird but it's actually a reflection on the earth that the, the poem um, yeah I just uh, that's why I think this movie is fairly clever and some of that stuff um, even like say for the fact that Al Pacino always takes the underground takes the subway yeah he always takes the subway and just little things like when he keeps calling the, the advice and the kind of fatherly compassion obviously mm. spoiler alert for the movie Al Pacino is Keanu Reeves' secret dad um, and using just oh you'll figure it out son things like that you just uh, think yeah, like oh okay sure. he's giving him kind of the mentor mentee you've got this speech but actually he's calling him his son that sort of thing you're like oh okay that's nicely laid in there when charlie's the at a certain point yells at keanu reeves to go to hell mm. uh things like that we're like oh it's 
you know, even modern that, day vernacular. He, saying that, there's a doorway that's just red mm. lighting that he's mm. standing in front of and just see a silhouette of. Again, good stuff. very good framing, uh, very good idea, probably from either the director or the art department. Yeah. It's, a, it, it's just a great movie for that sense. Yeah. One, one of the things that I didn't find great about this movie, though, was I felt that there was a lot of I don't want to say I don't want to say subplots and they're not even like plot. It, it just seems that there's there's a there's a linear story and then it just keeps branching off mm. and then it dev, and it's kind of like it find it if it stumbles its way back onto the linear the linear story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So let's like let's just quickly go through the kind of big beats. Yeah. As it were. So. I feel that yeah, with a two and a half hour movie like with so much going on in it, we can't do a normal episode where we go through like the plot by plot. So it starts with Keanu Reeves as a Florida lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, I say, I say. I have no other words. Getting off uh, a pedophile in a case. (laughs) Yeah, speaking of getting off. Yeah, uh, exactly. Well, and we'll get to that. But then, because of that, he gets taken to New York to. Pick a trial, uh, pick a jury. Not even mm-hmm. to stand in a court, but just to yeah, pick just, the jury. Uh, jury consultant, uh, jury consultancy. Apparently, that's the thing. Yes, Gene Hackman does it in um, Runaway Jury. That's his whole thing. And because he, that is so successful, he then gets taken on by Al Pacino to become a lawyer, mm-hmm. where he first has to represent Delroy Lindo, Lindo, Delroy Lindo, as uh, as a Delroy Lindo, the voodoo priest. Um, or the Cajun, whatever he, he's not really specific. I think he's voodoo, right? Is he playing a voodoo priest? Yeah, fuck it, why not? Anyway, he's pre- <laughs> he's defending Delroy Lindo in a case, which, by all intents and purposes, he should just walk away from. Mm. But he doesn't, because he's lured to victory. Then he gets has to defend Craig T. Nelson from a murder trial, because he killed his ex-wife and son, or wife and I son. I think it's his or... wife, yeah, son and maid. And all the while, Charlize Theron is becoming schizophrenic, and wouldn't you know it, Keanu Reeves is the son of the devil, and the whole point of the purpose of the film is to get him to fuck his sister to create the Antichrist. That's a hell of a final sentence for that summary I just gave. But you know, you're kind of missing out what I think is the big fuck you of the movie. So Keanu Reeves blows his brains out, cool, good on you buddy, you retained your free will. And then wakes up in the bathroom, and then it's like, oh, and he goes to court, and he decides to be the, do the right thing, and uh, which I like. So he, he stands up and he says, "I can't represent this client," right? And then the judge is like, "Do you know how serious this is?" And I'd be like, "I, I don't, know. I don't know actually how serious this is myself." No. Like, you know I mean, like it, it's one of those things where he's like, "Oh, I might get disbarred and stuff like that," and it's just a bit like. Would you know? Would you? Do I don't. This? I don't know. But it's also like in in films when they're like, "I will hold you in contempt." I was like, "What does that actually mean?" Well, this is the thing. If you go speak to any actual lawyer and things like that, they tell you most movies are just a joke, and obviously mm. a lot of drama is created just for screen, and a lot of this you know shouting back and forth never really happens in the court. It actually be very very unprofessional. I do wonder though. There's a few things like so when she. Uh, Keanu Reeves is like cross-examining the uh, the underage minor, potentially rape victim, yeah. and he's kind of like shouting at her, and he's just a bit like, oh, Keanu. Well, like, not yeah. right. Yeah, let's get into it. So essentially, um, a 14, 15 year old girl has yeah, been abused by her school teacher, and Keanu Reeves is defending the school teacher, and as he's the girl is giving the kind of testimonies to what happened. Mm-hmm. The, the nonce is jerking himself off in the courtroom. Right, so do you know what this... This is actually a thing. In criminology, um, when you're uh, going through testimonies or you're trying to get uh, people to talk about what happened in terms of matter-of-facts or or, linear, or um, what the story is, you know, say, for example, um, a really famous one is talking about uh, killings and murders, mm. um, when people are talking about it, it tends to, in the mind of the murderer, they are reliving that moment. So mm-hmm. any kind of, if they're like any sort of like psychopath or sociopath or something like that, obviously they gain some sort of pleasure from it. So they, in ways like involuntary, either produce movements with their uh, with their hands and things like that mm. to like reenact. The yeah, okay. I mean, it's, it's it's real clever. 
uh, from a psychological psycho- psychological criminological point of view. But if you're that guy, sit on your hands, bro. Yeah, the fact that obviously he's rubbing the table as he's rubbing like... his own dick. It's real subtle, but you can just see his other hand just yeah, about. That's the thing. It's not like it's not it's center framed, is it? It's not like oh, by the way, this is you know. Can oh you no. Imagine a, another director might just be like flashed like straight up in the. Oh no, dude! It, it was it was 1997. You could not have an extreme close up of a man's crotch on a movie. How dare you! Uh, so obviously there is a crisis of conscience, and yeah, Calories walks into the bathroom, and then as I said, it flashes back to that bathroom scene at the end of the movie. Yeah, so right. The movie was just a dream, or was it? Um, <sighs> yeah, so it's it's kind of fallen into that final destination trap, yeah. where you get to see the massive crash or the massive like explosion or something, and because of that you get to walk away from it. This whole movie is Keanu Reeves seeing what would happen if he wins this case and then his next case and his next case, he will have to just, um, you know, fuck his sister and create the Antichrist. It's, it's that class, it's that catch-22. Either I walk away from law entirely or I fuck my sister and create the Antichrist. That's what they tell you on the first day of law school. <laughs> but the thing is, it's like, is that the case though? Because obviously Al Pacino then reappears as the fucking reporter dude. Um... Yeah, right, and, and some awesome nineteen nineties uh, CGI morphing going on there, and with that he's like ah, ah, laughing. Um, vanity, definitely vanity. my favorite sin. But then, <laughs> but then it's like, has all that happened to influence Keanu Reeves not to do this? Is there like that? That's the bigger plan. Yeah, you know what I mean, like you, you know, we're talking about ambiguity and things yeah. like that. That's not the that's not the ambiguity I want. Yeah, you know I mean, like if. It, it, no, you're right, and it's kind of fallen into that talk about a better Keanu Reeves movie, Matrix thing, mm. where the whole purpose at the end of Matrix Revolutions, they say, is that they need the one, that glitch in the Matrix. Like, it's, he, mm-hmm. like he's not actually the one. He's not actually a glitch. He, he's programmed into it. That's the whole point of Revolutions, isn't it? Yeah. That the architect says there will be others, la, 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 making yeah. the whole point of Matrix 1 and Matrix 2, which on retrospect is a good movie, um, fucking pointless. Yeah, yeah this is doing it. the same thing, and but that's always the way. Where if you kind of just go, oh, and it was all a dream. Yeah, because that's like writing like school one hundred and one. Jesus. Yeah. So we're going to jump straight now to uh, him getting taken to New York. His mum obviously is Bible thumping, uh, Bible well, America, uh, Flor- yeah, Floridian. Bible yeah, Bible bash. Thank you. And um, kind of doesn't want him to go, and she wants a grandkid and all this other stuff. Yeah. That comes into it later, not really. Then we meet Al Pacino. Like, first things first, he does just appear out of thin air. That should be the first calling card of this guy's well, the devil. Because he comes in through the door behind him, and it is obviously his pride, and you don't hear him come in. It's not like it's just very much a, yeah, an announcement of his presence, which yeah. is very. And his first line is, is it not, oh no, or is it later on? At some point, his line when he enters the scene is like, speak of the devil. Um, That might even be his first line. I'm not exactly sure, but it's like, oh, okay, you're the devil. Cool. Just so we know, everybody, he is the devil. What I really love about it as well is a lot of the callbacks to what he keeps saying to Keanu Reeves as well. It's about like talking about pressure, talking about the squeeze and saying, like, can you handle the pressure? And again, playing into Keanu Reeves' vanity and ego. Mm. And it's always a bit like, I just love how um, Al Pacino's character uh, opens the door for him all the time. It's just like, hey, look, there's nothing wrong with you stepping away from this. There's nothing wrong with you, um, you know, leaving, quitting. No one would think less of you. Yeah. But it's the way he says stuff like that. It's like, no one, and it's like, well, will they? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, and I, I can't quit. You know, mm. I, this is I, as he says later on, he said, I win. This is what I do. I'm a winner. Yeah, you know I mean, and he even says and, like, if you if you quit, I'll support you. I've got your back, son. And it's yeah. like, ah, oh, he's the dad. He's the secret dad devil. But this is the thing. So it's and just I love the way that it's uh, the character is interpreted like that because he never makes him do anything. He just he, he, he just leads him down the path. But he almost does it in like in a reverse psychology. Mm. It's just like, hey, you can do this if you want. It's like, no, fuck you, I'm going to do this then. It's just like, yeah. Okay, that's your, and that's the thing, it's your choice. Yeah, to say you to someone like, want. oh, there's no shame in quitting, that doesn't tell them there's no shame in quitting. All that does is make them think, oh, there might be shame in quitting. Like, it's, 
Right. Bullshit. So, so this is when it. This is what I love. This is what um, I forget the terminology of it, but it, it, it's essentially become essentially becomes loaded words. Um, mm. And it, there's a really good book. And it's basically about um, hostile phrases and hostile words, and about how we shouldn't use certain things because it would. So it, it kind of, in a way, by saying that there's not something. You're saying that there is something in a way. So, like saying there's a, there's a, there's, a, there's no shame in this. You know what mm. I mean? It's just like, well, then you've established that there is a, a spectrum of shame. Exactly. You know you've, I mean? you've opened the door for shame to be thought about. It's the same thing as Inception. If I tell you not to think about pink elephants, what are you thinking about pink elephants? Yeah. And Al Pacino, and this comes down to how good Tony Gilroy is as a writer. Yeah, His, yeah. And, you know, maybe even, I've not read the book. Maybe this is in the book. But I can go only go off what I've read, uh, seen in the film. Mm. The subtext of the dialogue is on point with every character. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit now about the Keanu Reeves, Charlie Theron, Connie Nielsen love triangle situation. There was a scene when I was younger that I watched several times again and again and again and again and again. Which, oh, I'm sure you did. Yeah. <laughs> which is uh, Keanu Reeves coming home and Charlie's Theron saying, put, did she make love to me or yeah. put a baby in me or something like that? Yeah, and then to that. he starts making love to her and cross, crisscrosses between this fantasy where he's having sex with Connie Nielsen as Christabella. Yeah. And... But I fucking hate this scene, though, because she's, like, bawling her eyes out uh, because of... What's she bawling her eyes out this time? Because uh, she just saw demon breasts. Because obviously she's being plagued by the indecisions of the uh, building or the decorating the apartment Mm. which i kind of go you are on board with this from the start you you get introduced into this world and it's a lovely uh, amazing new york apartment it's like eight rooms or something like that uh, in this amazing building and all you've got to do is fucking put some paint and some wallpaper up you're probably rich enough to probably pay somebody else to do it. So the fact that when she's sitting down there and all those uh, doing the wallpaper, what the fuck it is, and and they're like, oh, so, and she's like, oh, I'm indecisive. What do I go for? And it's like, well, this is the nicest one. And this is like two thousand dollars a roll. And then Keanu Reeves walks in with the weirdest line because he's just like, he's like, we'll take it, but at fourteen thousand a roll. Yeah. And then they're like, if you're the sales guy, you'd be like, uh, no. No, get out. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> get the fuck out of my shop. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> all right. Everybody that. haggles. Um, but no, she just needs to get a part-time job and or a hobby. You know? Yes. Very much so. Take uh, up running. Just, take up running. Well, uh, unless she wants to get stabbed in the park. But it's one of the things that the, the wives are obviously alluding to as well. Because they obviously have miserable lives themselves. And the fact that... Um, the demon tits she's like oh i have to book an appointment in with my husband sort of thing so she alludes to the fact that she's probably a shagged al pacino at some point uh she is spending all the money on on clothes and good times and obviously to a point where she's got quite bitchy high standards so like when they're walking out the shop and they're like oh fuck that place you know what i mean i found this scene that just that one 10 second scene baffling because Charlize Theron's just waiting outside the shop whilst they're inside yeah. deciding that it's not good enough for them so well, they were just like wait here we'll be up we'll be right back <laughs> yeah it's cut to 30 minutes later but isn't that the kind of the idea that they're they're kind of like absolute bitches and don't really uh, probably see Charlie Theron's as one of them just as yet yeah it? and they're trying to obviously sink the closet and it's almost like the fear of missing out isn't it yeah it's just like oh well, why can't I be with these people when they do their things so it's like fuck it I'll just you know do whatever they say now and play yeah off. she's their puppy dog yeah essentially yeah um so, uh, I want to just say as well back to that the um kind of what I call the back swipe sex scene, because every time they cut it, you know when they do like a star wipe or a screen wipe in Star Wars, in the, oh, yeah. to change uh, to a different shot. In this, they use Keanu Reeves' back thrusting in front of the screen, and as he pulls back, it's a different person, which is uh-huh. good editing. But at the same time, you're just getting a load of close-ups of Keanu Reeves' bare back, and it's like yeah, lower, lower. Well, you see his ass at one point, and it is hairy. That is a hairy ass. Is it? Oh, like, even not even, like, all over. Just a few bits. You're just like, all right, all right, move. You know what? Hey, 
wouldn't show the crotch earlier on, but we're just getting Man, a I'd hate close up of that ass. Someone to have a photo of my ass <laughs> on screen. Uh, that would be Bush C. Oh no! If it's anything like your beard, then yeah, Jesus, it will be. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, yeah, but that that whole uh, sex scene thing—it comes out of again. Obviously, I know that this is a fucked up movie as well, but it is coming out of a uh, a woman who's mentally unstable and. Your way of fixing that is to have a baby. Nice. That's always a uh, good fitting. The old tried and tested method of having a baby to save the marriage. Um. So right, then we got right. We'll skip past the Del Lindo stuff because who cares? Honestly, who cares? He's sacrificed a goat in his own home, and for some reason that the DEA or something like kicked down the door and arrest him. It's like he's in his own home. Let the man be. <laughs> That's the other thing I don't get. It's like go 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 go. Seal Team Six. Yeah, exactly. Like, so what was he doing? Oh, he was uh, sacrificing a goat. Hmm. Yeah, okay. it's a real, it's a real necessary use of police time. Um, Keanu Reeves wins the case because Delroy oh, Lindo puts yeah. a voodoo curse on someone. Oh, so this is the thing. I kind of feel that with he would have won the case without the uh, without the voodoo curse. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Hey, look, he was slaughtering a fucking animal because of his religious beliefs. As long as the animal wasn't in distress, you know, because obviously he did do shit like that. And he also brings up the fact that there's this, the kosher method. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you want to elaborate on that. Not really. Right. No. No. I mean, no. I see what you're doing, but no. Um, no, it's it's um, it's it's such an unnecessary thing to say. Like Kevin Lomax won the case. Great, but to say yeah. that Del Lindo also put voodoo curse it's like well which was it was it the voodoo curse that meant that the opposing lawyer couldn't speak or was it kevin lomax being kevin lomax we don't see the trial so it's kind of irrelevant so that's it del Rielinder's out of the movie now craig t nelson right, so however is back in the case the case to uh one to 65 oh oh i see what's about to happen dum right. dum 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 um so he takes on the case of craig t nelson and the crux of this is that he is a business tycoon or a property tycoon who has been accused of murdering his wife to get out of paying it for a prenup and he's also murdered his kid and there are prints in the room that definitely say this was definitely Craig T. Nelson and his defense was uh, the defense that he kind of suckers Keanu Reeves into using is no I couldn't have killed my wife because I was having an affair so, so this is this is actually all a bit like slightly confusing because again the subtlety of certain things that were happening within the movie. So, you kind of think, oh, actually, maybe Al Pacino set up this and it's trying to just create cause conflict. Maybe uh, the murders, maybe he didn't murder them. And I like that because mm. you do question it. You look like, oh, and then when uh, Keanu Reeves is interviewing the secretary that uh, Nelson's meant to be banging, and he kind of like, oh. You know, in the courtroom, they're, when they're cross-examining you, we're, we're practicing. And this happens a lot, actually, with, you know, when you sort of coach through witnesses and things like that. You kind of go, hey, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. We're prepping you for uh, for trial. And he says, he's going to come at you hard and fast and throw in some oddball questions. It's like, you know, weigh this, weigh that. And it's like, is he circumcised? <laughs> and then she's like, uh, what? Uh, you know, and, she, and then he, that's when he realizes that she's that never lying. seen his penis. Exactly. Yeah. Which you, um, which you kind of think, yeah. But you kind of think in America, aren't most people's dicks cut anyway? Yeah. Well, she could have absolutely rolled the dice. Yeah, I, I would say that was a, that. That would have been a good roll to say, probably. Yes. Ninety percent sure that it's probably cut. So when uh, Nelson gets off, uh, giggity, um, we he sits in front of Keanu Reeves at the pew when uh, fucking Ferris Bueller Day Off guy gets. Uh, Eddie Barzin, he's dead, and he is like rubbing the clasp of the bra mm. of his daughter. Now I'm wondering if that's trying to establish the fact that he's also been doing naughty, naughty stuff with his daughter, yeah. and hence why he's so like, oh, um, I, I just want to see my daughter. I want to get custody and all this sort of stuff. And he's really, and then there's all the like child protective services, like you know, making sure that she, you know. Like she's been manhandled away from him, you know, when he's uh, brought out to talk about uh, with Keanu Reeves at some point about the case, and he's like, oh, "Look, I've only got an hour with my daughter here," and then they whip her out like 15 minutes mm. early. He's obviously being pissed about that, which we think I would be as well. But then, 
as you're saying, like he's like sort of stroking the cloth of the bra, and he's kind of almost insinuating that it might be something that he's diddling, yeah. And then you kind of wonder that maybe then did he kill the wife because uh, she because found out of diddling? She found out or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know I mean? maybe. Like, I, I like that. That's good ambiguity. Yeah. That's a good like, hey, oh, something could be a bit more to this. Yeah, but he, that this is what makes Keanu Reeves realize that. Oh God, I made a mistake. And yeah, this was case case sixty six. Case sixty six, number of the devil almost. And <laughs> which has been proven to be incorrect as well. Like apparently the first ever number of the devil was six one six. Yes. Yes. So but in this case it's sixty six one. Nailed it. Homophone joke. Um No, no, nothing. Uh, I say yeah, there's a very real, real silence. On wow, this end. you yeah. just my it, internet cut it's out, it's why. tough to hear <laughs> grammar jokes, and I get that. So yeah, yeah he win he he wins the case. He's the hero. Dot dot dot. Eddie Barzun gets killed because yeah. he's going to sell out Al Pacino to the feds. And yeah, I know I didn't really get this little. Uh, plot point as well because he kind of reads walks on him and they're going mad shredding files this is quite a funny visual it's just like they're just like fuck it just go for it yeah um and Wait, it should have just been it. eddie barzoon doing it he shouldn't have had a team of minions the fact that he has a team of minions means he's convinced an entire team of people to speak, go out against the devil you know but, but this is the thing so like i so do the, does everybody else know that no 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 even no absolutely not like i think that all the lawyers don't know that everyone else around the lawyers does know and or is a demon so or they've been influenced by demons yes absolutely i think the lawyers are the most easily in their you know the film posits lawyers are the most easily corruptible and therefore they all they need is the slightest bit of influence whether it's money or sex and they'll work for the devil i always thought it was the idea that he because when Keanu Reeves is like, why law? Why lawyers? Mm. And he's like, oh, because we can just get into every assets um, out there because we it's like backstage part. Yeah. It's like, you know what I mean? I was just like, but, yeah, actually. But Eddie Barzoon didn't, couldn't have known that Al Pacino, could not have known that Al Pacino was the devil because yeah. he wouldn't have done what he did. You you don't, it's that line from The Usual yeah. Suspects, how do you shoot the devil in the back? What if you miss? Eddie Barzoon would not have taken that shot. No, not at all. I don't think. But then that's the thing because he's he, when he's going fucking crazy, mm. and he's like, oh, he's like a manic depressant, or he's or, or you've seen a manic episode. That's what it looks like. And you're a bit like, oh, okay. But then you're just wondering what was, like, what's the relationship between Al Pacino and Eddie Barzun? Because you're thinking like, he is very much the top end. He's like he's the you know if you're thinking about tears opportunities right at the top and then you've got uh eddie balzoon and now keanu reeves and you're kind of thinking to yourself like well why would there be this like level almost like incompetency and corruption and things like that like and obviously when the weaver commission kind of comes forwards and it's yeah. just like oh by the way this is what uh the firm does it's all like you know cloak and dagger shit it's lots of like chemical weapons it's lots of like supplying yeah. uh, arms to like the fucking middle east and shit like that and he's just like oh okay really like and then yeah it's just a bit like i i, I don't know i find it's all starting to be a bit of a stretch if you know what i mean it's a bit like yeah okay i don't know how or why alpacino then would let eddie barzoon essentially hang himself mm. Yeah, I mean, luckily we don't need to think about it because uh, Charlie's Thron uh, has a dream where a baby's playing with her ovaries. Then she, oh, mate, yeah. then she commits suicide in a hospital, a mental hospital, which allows patients to lock their own doors from the inside. Yeah, that's great. That's no, she doesn't. She sticks a chair. In front oh, of does she? Oh, I thought she. Okay, fair enough. And you're probably also wondering why would you ever allow things like glass and mirrors? The and the secretary like bought it in. Yeah, Pam. Pam. Like, hey, oh, Pam. Um, so Charlie's run kills herself, and that means that Keanu Reeves can have the greatest, second greatest cinematic dialogue showdown in cinematic history. Mm-hmm. The greatest, as we know, is the end of A Few Good Men, but mm-hmm. holy hell, this is amazing! This is what the whole okay. film's about. 
So you know we were talking the other day about when people like you go into a cast and then people would deliver like monologues and mm. stuff like that. What was it? What were we talking about then? Uh, we were talking about ah oh, crepes. I can't remember. Um, get oh, back to it me. was Johnny Mnemonic. It was the I oh want yeah, <laughs> I want room service. service. Yeah, okay. And then it's like Al Pacino watched that and was like, I can do better because yeah. some like some of the lines he's got in this film. Number one, like. I'm the hand up Mona Lisa's skirt. What a line. Yes. No one ever sees me coming. Um, the the dialogue he has on, on the underground where he's like, in another language, he's like, right now, you know, your girlfriend went upstairs to your neighbor's house to smoke crack and get fucked in the ass. Um, but, this is, but the way, because obviously he's... he's he speaks in so many tongues. Mm. It's just showing what kind of influence he has on. Oh yeah. Like, obviously, like the devil would. You know what I mean? The devil would be able to speak all these. Oh, it's, yeah. It's 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 really good stuff. You just think, oh, he's incredibly intelligent. And having Connie Nielsen also speak all these languages as well, mm. and find out that she is the yes. daughter of the devil, etc. And then this final scene. We've already had Al Pacino at this point looking up at the the. The ceiling of the church as he's putting his hand in the holy water yeah which and it's, uh, bubbling and burning yeah and which is like already so he, which is so good and then it's it's the face that he makes as yeah well. like, aha like, look at me it's, it's kind of like that glee kind of like almost like naughty schoolboys like i'm i'm in the church yeah. like i shouldn't be here but i am what are you gonna do about it um and then um there's two he's like Oh, I fucked a woman 40 ways from Sunday when she was limping across the room. Who did she look back and see? Little old me. <laughs> and then, yeah, so Keanu Reeves t- rocks up into the office and is like, I say, I say, what did you do to Marianne? And Keanu Reeves, I swear down, it, uh, Al Pacino, I love this bit. He goes, well, on a scale of one to ten, one being the average Friday night run through at the Lomax house, and ten being the most depraved sexual act known to man. I would say, not to be a modest, Marianne and I got it on at a seven. And he, what is that seven? I'm not even kidding. Seven. So dumb. So brilliant. It's just the fact that he's just not taking any of this seriously. So, like, the fact that, hey, by the way, um, I just raped your wife and obviously fucked her up enough to uh, go into a mental institution and kill herself. Yes. I mean, it's a bit like... I And it obviously, you know, the the old what's-his-fucking-face from Street Fighter when he's just like, hey, when I destroyed your village, it might have been the, great, you know, the, the most important day of your life, but for me it was a Tuesday. You know I mean? it's yeah. Like, it's that element to it. It's like, yeah, I, I do this every fucking day. I, I look figuratively and physically fuck people. You know what I mean? Like, was that Street Fighter? It's, yeah, it's in, in Street Fighter. Um, what's his face? Um, the guy who plays um, uh, Bison. And he is, uh, when he's talking to Chan Lee in his office, and it's just like, oh, and she's giving out about like, oh, Bison, you fucking bastard, you killed my father. I, I, be- I totally believe you. I was just, if you'd have asked me 10 seconds ago, have you ever seen Street Fighter? I'd have been like, no, definitely not. But I definitely know that line. I thought it was maybe. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a line that people reference in you so much because it's out of the whole fucking movie. Yeah. The movie, obviously, shit. Um, but it's like one of the most well-delivered lines and it kind of quite cutting. Yeah. It's so, because so, it's so kind of like, bitch slapping yeah it's just like yeah oh yeah like it's the most important day of your life but for me it was cheesy. i love it um yeah. so uh, we have we skipped over a little bit uh the keanu reeves walking down an empty new york street that's such a great i'd love to know how to they shut off the streets oh wow. that's a real what shot they shut off way? three blocks yeah yeah and and it it's... must have then imposed something further going on down then because no way you could no it just cost a shit ton of money like in the vanilla sky they closed times square for a little bit they, they. That's, I think that's so mad to do. Like, imagine you're just like, imagine you fucking lived there, or imagine if you were like, uh, like you ran a business or something on that street. But imagine, but like, imagine also like if they didn't do it. Imagine if they didn't have a moment in this film where Keanu Reeves is just walking down the middle of an empty New York street because there are no extras and no cars. 
Like, it yeah. wouldn't have... That's it's a really eerie. eerie moment. But you kind of think of what they did in 28 Days Later, which is they just got up super fucking yeah, early yeah. and just, like, guerrilla style, just go, like... Well, go on this... The, the show I've been working on um, as an extra, they've they had to close off... Um, uh, Millennium Bridge and parts of the South Bank, oh, yeah. but between takes, people could kind of walk back and forth, back and forth. Then they closed it off, and it makes it. When we watch it back, hopefully, it'll make for a really real thing, as opposed to a set or CGI or what the Mandalorians kind of, whatever hollow screen that they have on that. Oh, mate, that stuff. It is sick, but old school nineties and backwards movies that shot on location or just like money's not an object, just shoot it mm. is great but- and. Vanilla Sky is a terrible film, but that scene of him running through Times Square is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they have the showdown, and Al Pacino, as well as uh, playing and singing along to Frank Sinatra, uh, yeah. the ma- uh, Night in Monterey or a Man from Monterey or something like that, he yeah. talks about just how fucked up God is, and he's got this line of like, um, he's a sadist. He tells you to look, but don't touch. Touch, but don't yeah, taste. Taste, taste, but don't taste, swallow. Don't swallow. Free will yeah. is the final fig leaf. Now go fuck your sister. Yeah, it's it's so. It's it, do you know what one of the things that I when I love is when villains give out about stuff like this, and you kind of go, you're kind of right. You know what I mean, it's like the ultimate. Like it's like I God is giving you instincts and then told you to go against them. You know what I mean? It's just like it's the ultimate prankster yeah it's the ultimate like fuck you you know what i mean like and then when he goes through yeah like look but don't touch and he kind of like then you are relating it to stuff because he's you can maybe see the influence that he's had on things when he's talking about like the fig leaf as well because obviously that's very predominant on things like Adam and Eve, and Eve. yeah and he's talking about the look but don't touch touch but don't take and he's talking, maybe talking about the you know tree of wisdom and the you know eating from the apple and things like that and he's just like oh you motherfucker like because you can kind of see like how he's been um you know throughout this whole movie and it's just like that super smooth but on that you know we're saying on the cusp of being slimy Mm. as well it's just like it's such a thin edge that he he walks across and it's just again because then you might think as well in terms of that character is that the people that would then be influenced by him would see him as quite smooth and charming but then people that wouldn't be would see him as a bit creepy and a bit of a slimeball and things like that because you you see that when he enters into the party, when all the uh, all the wags are yeah. on top of the like, the stairs, and he's, and Charlie, even Charlie Ferron's like, oh, who's that? Yeah, and you're like, really? <laughs> <laughs> like uh, Al Pacino, maybe back in the day, very striking, good-looking chap. He looks like, like a goblin. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. I'm a bit like he was not his sex appeal. You know what? <laughs> and this is such a weird thing, but. He looks like a goblin for the majority of this film, and it, but as soon as he gets that spike, it, he as soon as he goes from flat hair to spiked up hair, yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it, it's Al Pacino. But before that, mm. it's all very slick, and he does, yeah, he looks like Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci's younger, uglier brother. <laughs> spike up his hair, give him that heat look, you know? Yeah, yeah, you know? okay. Give him, give, him, give him that, and it's like, all right, yeah, all right, cool, I get it, cool. Um... <laughs> We've totally skated over two things, which we should very much touch on. We've skated, we, we've skated over loads, loads, but the two so. things I think we should touch on are Keanu Reeves' mum comes to New York oh, and um, she sees Al Pacino for the first time and then she's like, all right, got to leave New York. Second time she comes to New York is when Charlie's thrown is in hospital and mm. she's like, I should tell you, I say, I say... That when I came to New York all those years ago, Al Pacino was the man I made love to. He is your father. It's like that would have been really good to say the first time you were in New York. That would have been really yeah. great information to give earlier in the movie that for no reason you didn't. There's a bit of frustration. You know, we've spoken about this beforehand. It's just give me, give, give me what I need to yeah. know. It's like we, we've spoken about this. Like scenes like working in the kitchen, mm-hmm. where it's just be like people coming and tell the fucking life stories, yeah. and you're just like, what fuck do you want? And it just kind of, it was a bit like that, that slight frustration to me when he comes out after Charlie Ferron's has just fucking killed herself. And he's like, right, what, uh, you know, talk to me. When, like, you were you in New York at some point? Or it's like, what did he want to fucking tell me? And then she's like, well, you know, when I was there, and he's just like, look, Al Pacino's your dad. Yeah. Like, I fucked him. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, 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 you know, and, like, and then that would be like, oh, and then, the, oh, do you want some context? let me give it to you like uh, this is what happened you know I mean? so this was a movie 
this was a movie and you have a great fun time you know you have a fun time watching it uh you can rip into it as being ridiculous the the 90s we're shooting on location in new york stuff is great it just so happens that they made a few choices where you're just like really guys do we need this nudity here do we need um the celebrity cameos do we need the like laid on thick i'm the devil foreshadowing ultimately it's good fun i love the movie i love i i think we said before that i do love um, you know, sort of like religious dogma kind of esque movies. Like I really like Stigmata. Yeah. I really like. Uh, I love the Prophecy movie. Legion. Um, I just love the Legion to some point. Um, uh, I, I I love the kind of battle between heaven and hell. Yeah. I think it's obviously such a you know uh, when I say an eternal story. You know, it's been you know, it's a story that's been told through millennia. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I just think that it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't get used a lot because I feel obviously with everything becoming more and more secular, people are less to have an appetite for things that are uh, overly religious in tone and things like that. But I feel that you could really like delve into stuff like that. I feel it, you can really kind of use the history and the law, mm. the, the dogma of, of, of Catholic religion to really like you know, create a, an interesting story. Yeah. I'd love to see it more, but not to do some sort of like Bible bashing, like you know uh, Mel Gibson's Passion uh, of the Christ, Passion of the Christ yeah. stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just feel that you can use it to really get background for something. Yeah. Ultimately, this is this was it's it's just a fun movie. Switch your brain off, enjoy it, go for a ride, ignore Keanu Reeves' accent, and uh, remember, hey, it was made in 1997. Um, that has been our episode on the Devil's Advocate. Have you changed our Twitter or Instagram handles yet? Then just go on Google, type in Adam and Craig. As always, we are the only two of those types in the world that work together. Exactly. Uh, support us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Spotify. Find us on iTunes as well. Uh, we have a Patreon, and we will be back next week with another potential Keanu Reeves episode. Hey, who knows? <laughs> We're not doing a Keanu Reeves this season. Fine. Just uh, say that out right. there. We're very much going to change direction (laughs) but we will decide during the break and we will see you then thank you very much for listening Uh, thank you very much Uh, I've been Adam I've been Craig bye bye you've been listening to Gilly Pleasure Cinema we doing a sign off Uh, nah (laughs) hey always professional bye (laughs) we are watching a movie talking about so sit back and relax and it's time to talk about it talk about it maybe get some popcorn or maybe some snacks because we are watching a movie that we're gonna be a talking about the Charlie's Theron of your relationship <laughs> excuse me <laughs> you're the house husband of your relationship uh fuck off I, I mate, I've got my own fucking career thank you yeah and you you fill your time with other things you don't just sit at home all day worrying about what the neighbors think you go and you play rugby and you work out and you warhamming you yeah, Charlie's job Charlie's Theron needs I've to got find a full-time a... No, fucking job. You yeah, can't. yeah. You work twenty hours a week, and that's great. And that's fucking twenty hours a week. <laughs> I, I work fucking like twenty hours at delivering sessions, and then I've got another fucking like sixteen, twenty hours as a fucking as the manager as well. So fucking lots of it's so easy. It was here, just buddy. so easy to bait you. It is movie talk time.